0: New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford stepping up, going left side, watch Calvin. Zone, got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slay. No one will catching touchdown lions. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show, sponsored by Indeed and by Bet Online. Go check out our sponsors if you would be So kind, it is Wednesday, which means it is mailbag day here at the show. And we're going to get into all of your questions. And there's a bunch of them in just a couple of minutes. But wanted on one thing in the world of the Lions before we get there, because it was actually not mentioned in any of the questions today. And that is Matt Prater. I thought it was pretty interesting today. Braden Combs, the defense, sorry, the special teams coordinator, Did talk for a while today about Matt Prater and about his situation and what's going on. Just wanted to read y'all a couple of those things that he said because Prater has actually his worst field goal percentage since it's been 11 years since he's been under 75%. He's at 72% at the moment. It's the worst season of his career since he started playing full season. So that's over a decade. He's 36. He's in the final year of his contract. He's been so clutch for the Lions for so long. But obviously with changes coming and us knowing that changes in some form or fashion, at least in the front office, are coming. It was worth asking. I think some of these questions and myself and a couple of reporters did. Uh, I asked. Braden if a contract year you think has affected him when he does miss and here's what Braden said quote I really don't I probably alluded to this a little bit but I don't know if I ever said it bluntly is that one of my favorite things about Matt Prater is he is not a nervous personality he is Very much, He's wired very much like a non-specialist football player. He does a great job of just kind of going with the flow and staying present in the moment and compartmentalizing things. He doesn't have a whole lot of concern of what's going to happen after this year. And a big part of that is probably that he has enough of a track record that he's going to have options on the table next year. He doesn't have to worry about if anybody is going to sign him or if nobody is going to sign him. I get it. The numbers haven't been great. But those of us that know, you just know Matt Prater is an NFL kicker. He is going to be fine. And just in general, he doesn't get shaken up about that stuff. He just goes out and hits the next kick. End quote. He was asked also about his. So he was asked about what goes first for a kicker. I mean, this is more generally power accuracy. We've obviously all seen that Matt Prater still has the power. And there's no question about that. Braden said that every kicker is different, but usually it is the power and that he knows that Matt Prater has had some accuracy issues this year. He actually referenced a question I asked him earlier this year about kickers getting the yips. And he said that, yes, certainly a guy can start to lose confidence or lose the mental edge and mental focus. And that would lead to more accuracy issues. I can tell you guys that Matt Prater has not lost his fastball. He can still crush the ball. And, He went on to praise his distance, so then he was asked as a follow-up, well, are you worried about his accuracy? And Braden said, quote, I'm frustrated with his percentage right now. He and I are frustrated with with it together, but I think it goes back to a lot of it is – has been the situations and the attempts that we've taken. He hasn't missed one under 40 yet. Not that that's the bar for an NFL kicker, but the numbers are what they are. We're frustrated with the misses, but just telling you guys, I feel like I say this every week, but you line up a kicker draft across the NFL. He's going in the top half of the league still. Make no mistake about it. We just got to get him back on track and finish the year strong, and hopefully the numbers look better at the end of the year. End quote. So what do I take from that? Obviously, we don't know what this situation is going to look like, across the entirety of the team but I don't know if you would have described Matt Prater even going into this season in the top half of the NFL I think you could have described him in the top five when it came to kickers you got Justin Tucker you've got maybe Zerline maybe a couple of other guys and that's it so the fact that he's mentioning him in the top half of the league now still a good thing for Matt Prater still a compliment but Clearly, something is off at this point. He did miss an extra point on Sunday against the Bears. So, got to figure out what's going on with him. And then, obviously, the Lions have a pretty big decision to make with what they want to do with Prater in the offseason. Or if they want to go with a different kicker, a younger kicker, and go from there. He is an unrestricted free agent, so they can... It's not like that getting if not it's like moving on from him would would cost them anything from that penalty standpoint. but it would be a surprising thing, I think, still, to see them maybe move on from Matt Prater even though he's had not the best year. So let's dive in to your questions right away. The first, I'm going to ask these two in a row questions from Rob Johnson, who's reJ Inc worldwide. Saw a post today questioning your pick from Sunday, so here's a chance to prove to the Lions world what's your record picking Lions games over eight years. No judgment. And he also asked, you've stated more than a few times that Danny Amendola should be phased out. He made some very clutch plays throughout the game, especially in the fourth quarter. Those tight routes, catches or plays Agnew doesn't make. New thoughts. So the first question I put in there just to say that I don't have my record over eight years. I don't know if there's a way to even track that uh, because I don't know if we keep our week over week uh, predictions anywhere. I If we do somewhere, and I will ask my bosses, actually, I will gladly mention it on a future podcast. Uh, I know what my season record predictions have been and what my game by games have been for most seasons before the season, but that – to me doesn't really count because so much can change within a year uh that said you know i don't know i'm probably at 50 percent or so i i don't know maybe a little bit over that i would think i just i couldn't tell you that for sure um that's not something i really keep track of because you know i i don't know i mean i feel like i try to get a piece of pulse on the team every week and get a feel of it and go from there Uh, I think this week it just happened to get a little bit more attention what I picked and to the second question no I I don't back away from that statement because Danny Amendola sure he's made some big plays and he's come up for the Lions in crunch time but I still think at this point if you are the Lions you need to find more ways to get Jamal Agnew involved then we saw that a bit on Sunday. Now, granted, he made a mistake on a fourth down call and he admitted it. And, you know, it, it didn't really work. And that's on him. And he, like he said, as much after the game, all of that said, I, I would still kind of try to work Agnew in, because you need to figure out whether Agnew is going to be a part of your future. Now, Of course, who knows how much of this coaching staff will be back next year. So that's part of it, too. They're trying to win games. But at the same time, I want to see what Jamal Agnew has. And I'm Jamal Agnew. I'm trying to push it because I'm going to be a free agent after this season also. So I want other teams to see it. But... I can easily see where they're going to still play Danny Amendola a decent to a good amount because they are still trying to win games, and Amendola does show that he's still got something, and he has a good chemistry with Matthew Stafford. So I think it could be a situation where you see Amendola maybe in more key situations, but I would still give Jamal Agnew at least some of Amendola's work going forward because Agnew needs the reps to, to really tell what maybe the Lions might have there in the future. Alan Perlstein and Lawrence Timmerman who are at Al the Lion and at LBT man and I'm combining you together because essentially you asked versions of the same question which are what percentage of defensive players currently on the Lions roster do you think will also be on the roster opening day 2021 so let's go through this we will start at cornerback because that is the first position when you go alphabetically on the Lions roster and When you look at guys that are going to be back next year on this team currently at corner, Amani Awarie will be back. I'd be shocked if he's not, no matter the system. Jeff Okuda will absolutely be back for multiple reasons. Other than that, I think everything is in question. Desmond Trufant is under contract for next year, but it is possible that maybe Desmond Trufant does not return because... He's a guy that, depending on who you bring in, maybe they decide to look elsewhere because he does have a pretty hefty cap number. Now, he is guaranteed $3.5 million of his base salary next year. He's got another $1 million guaranteed for injury only. But So how what happens and how they kind of designate him after the latest injury that landed him on IR could play into that too, which could make it $4.5 million fully guaranteed and then you're probably looking at him on the roster uh that also becomes fully guaranteed the third day of the new league year if he's still on the roster so you're going to be paying him no matter what 3.5 million of base if you cut him the post June first savings which is what you would do probably is 6.5 million so there is some value in maybe moving on from him if you are really trying to do a complete rebuild. But if whoever takes over is not looking at a complete and total rebuild, I could see where they hold Desmond Trufant on the roster at least through training camp and then kind of make decisions at that point, but it might depend too on how much ro- on how much cap space you need to clear. So that is Desmond Trufant. Also at corner Justin Coleman. Now Justin Coleman's a much more interesting situation because Justin Coleman, he's under contract for two more years. He's got no guaranteed Money left if he's still on the roster the third day of the league year, 1.1 million of his 8.95 million dollar base becomes fully guaranteed. So then that would become more dead money on top of the little over 4 million in dead money that he would have because of his prorated signing bonus. But if you did get rid of him post June 1st, you'd save nine million dollars. So if you do, so he's a guy that again, if you're kind of tearing it apart a little bit if you feel like you have a better option in the slot maybe if you keep true and you work okuda or you work a warrior in the slot as your maybe starter there for 21 obviously different positions then maybe Je- justin coleman ends up being a guy that you move on from however justin coleman when he's good he's one of the better slot corners in the league it's just that this has been a rough year for him but it's been a rough year for so many on the defense. When you look at the other corners, Mike Ford's a restricted free agent. So I could see a situation where they offer him an original round tenure and keep him around, uh, original round tender, that is, and keep him around. Tony McRae and Daryl Roberts are both unrestricted free agents. If Braden Combs is still here, I could see Tony McRae re-signing with the team. If he's not, then I think it's a tough decision. So moving from corner to was labeled defensive back and the only person listed there is Tracy Walker. Tracy Walker will be back. I would be very surprised if Tracy Walker is not back next season. Looking at defensive end now, this is where it gets even trickier. I don't know if Austin Bryant would be back next year. He probably comes back and at least gets to camp because he's a fourth-round pick on a rookie contract. Everson Griffin's a free agent. Romeo Acquara is a free agent. Romeo Acquara is a guy that I think if you... Go into a 4-3 or somehow this current staff stays, you, you should spend the money to re-sign him. He's had a heck of a year for you in your system, and he's really a good player. Uh, Everson Griffin, I think you just kind of have to depend. Again, I think that's another situation where you're looking at what this looks like, whether it's a rebuild or not. Romeo Aquara, even if it's a rebuild, maybe you want to invest in him because he is a young player at 25 years old. Everson Griffin at 32, probably not. Deshaun Hand again a guy that probably gets to camp but at this point how can you count on him I, I don't know how you could that's a really really difficult question um, Frank Heron so we're really just doing the defensive line Frank Herron again a guy maybe you sign for cheap here if you want to he may actually even technically be i don't know exactly his contract situation at the moment so he may actually be if he's under contract i can see easily bringing him back john Pennicini will be back at least during training camp next year kevin strong i think would be a guy that maybe would get to training camp as well nick williams is a guy that you have to wonder if he will be back he is under contract for 2021 but there is no guaranteed money in there he's Cap savings of $4.5 million if you do let him go. There's only $1 million in dead money. So to me, considering his production, that's a move that you make. Going now to linebacker, Jamie Collins is going to be on, unless they completely want to just move on and eat a ton of dead money, Jamie Collins is going to be on the roster next year. His contract makes that so. Jared Davis is a free agent and probably not coming back. Christian Jones is a guy that you could see the Lions move on from even though he is under contract next year. The post-June for savings on him and even the cap saving 1.74 million and he's got some escalators in there and there's no guaranteed money. The dead money is a little over 1 million. So, I could see a situation where the Lions choose to move on from him, but he's also not super expensive for you. If you're the Lions against the Cap next season, he's a little over two million dollars. So if you feel like he can play a role for you, I think maybe you bring him back. Reggie Ragland is a free agent, so I think that's going to be very much coach dependent. Jalen reeves maben is a free agent again, very much coach defend- coach dependent. Jelani Tavai should be on the roster next year. He is a second-round pick. He'll be going into his third season, but you know it'll be interesting to see how the Lions handle him there. They would get a little over a million dollars for making him a post-June first cut, but I think he's still young enough that you roll with him. Then, kind of going now to safety, Deron Harmon is a free agent. Again, I would inquire about bringing him back no matter who the coaching staff is. He's a good leader. He's a good locker room guy, but if you're completely tearing it down, maybe he doesn't want to come back at age 30 and play on a rebuilding team he can easily find work elsewhere will harris is a guy that probably comes back again because he's on a rookie deal but i don't think he has a job lockdown for sure jaron curse is a player that is a free agent after the year so again depends probably on the new defensive scheme miles killabrew he's one of your core special teams guys i think if Braden combs is back Next year, as a special teams coordinator, Miles Killebrew probably gets looked at to be re signed. Now, maybe he looks somewhere else for a bigger role, but again, a great locker room guy, a guy you want to have around and carry over, and he's one of the better special teams players in the league. So, as long as the new staff values special teams in some way, Miles Killebrew becomes valuable. CJ Moore is under contract for next year, so should end up returning. For, for the Lions in 2021, that one seems like a pretty much no-brainer. Now, at least, again, to get to training camp. And that is about it as far as the regulars on the roster at the moment. Jay Sean Cornell is on IR right now. He'll get to camp next year. Trey Flowers obviously will be back next year. Julian Cuaro will obviously be back next year. Danny Shelton, we covered Desmond Truffaut. Danny Shelton's another question mark as I'm not sure exactly what they'll do there. He is under contract. However, his cap hit next year is $5.25 million. You would say $4 million if you do release him. So again, I think that's going to be another very scheme-dependent situation. I know that that doesn't give a ton of answers, but it does go through the defense of who might be there. And practice squad guys, if you figure most of them will be future signings, and then who knows from there. Of the practice squad guys, none of the defensive guys, other than really Kareem Martin, are true vets. And D. Virgin, I would think they would maybe try to bring back as well. So that goes through the entire defense, and we'll be back right after this with more from the Mailbag Bag 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over, much to the happiness of probably everybody. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world, with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly. So you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. That's right. No long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new New way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job. Making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month according to Comscore total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast faster than even Matt Prater's 59-yard field goal went through the uprights. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And football, as we have seen is very much back in full swing, and you might not be at a game this year. Only 500 or so people can be in Lions games over the last couple of home games, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season-opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use that promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE. All one word. BetOnline. Your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. Welcome back. Hopefully you didn't tune out too much about the defense, but it's an easy breakdown of the defensive roster. And at some point here, whether it's toward the end of the season or after the season, we will try and do that as well. Again, a little bit more in depth. Next question comes from Honolulu Blues, who's at hbromo One. It's not make or break either way, but what's the rationale for releasing Marvin Hall now? Mohamed Sanu impressing. Maybe Hunter Bryant gets a long look in December. I think it is a couple of things there. One, I don't think it has to do with Hunter Bryant as much as maybe I thought it did on Friday. As it did, I think they just really like what Mohamed Sanu brings. And Marvin Hall, I think a lot of people are noticing it because he's kind of the one speed guy in the offense. But understand this. If Kenny Galladay comes back, not that Galladay is a speed guy, but Marvin Hall is probably not seeing the field. Because who's he playing over? He's not playing over Kenny Galladay. He's not playing over Marvin Jones. He's not going to play over Danny Amendola. And frankly, you're probably playing Jamal Agnew over him in the slot you need to get Quintez Cephas reps. And if you feel like Mohamed Sanu is going to give something to you and maybe help you win ball games, where is Marvin Hall even going to play? So if you have to make room on the roster for some people and receivers are a position where you are pretty deep, I understand why they moved on from Marvin Hall. Sure, it's frustrating because he is a younger, a young-ish guy, but Look, they the way that Marvin Hall got used, and I'll be curious to see what they do with him in Cleveland, he was a burner down the field, but that was all that he, he really gave you. Now, he showed in camp that he could do a little bit more, but that never really translated all that much to the field And that, sure, he's a one deep shot guy, but are you going to keep a guy up for one shot a game? Are you going to keep a guy on the roster for one shot a game? Sure, sometimes that results in a touchdown or a massive play, but otherwise, it results in nothing. So... I understand where the move potentially came from. I think Marvin Hall is a fine player. I think he's got some potential elite skills, but it hasn't come together in the route running, at least from what I've seen. So it's all speed, and we'll see how he does in Cleveland. I'm curious to see it. Uh, As far as Hunter Bryant, I do think they'll eventually give him a longer look. Uh, It just shows kind of, and I think even really this entire season showed, since Isaac Nata was largely on the practice squad, that Hunter Bryant was the guy they wanted to be their number three tight end. Heck, maybe even their number two tight end. To me, I think that he's on the roster now, and you kind of are maybe planning for him to be the number two tight end next season. But again, it might depend on what the offensive scheme looks like. Bobby 430761 asks, With the Lions giving up 30 points, was it bad? Corey Udland play calling... Or is it just lack of talent on defense? I think it was a little bit of everything. I wouldn't say it was bad play calling. I think some of it just is roster deficiency. We know the Lions are not a good team stopping the run. We know they struggle defending the pass. Amani Awarie explained it as like earlier, explained his play. But I think it's defense-wide. They were really trying some new stuff early on. And they only had three days to really work on it. So, it was clear that some of that, I think, was some of the issue in the first half. I think the Lions did much better with it in the second half. But, yeah, they did give up 30 points to a bad Bears offense. It doesn't bode well here for Sunday against the Packers, who have a really good offense. However, I think that the Lions did get better there as the game wore on. The one thing that you can say is they did play more zone far more zone than man and that was obviously a change now we'll see if that continues this week against Aaron Rodgers I don't think it matters frankly whether you play man or zone against Aaron Rodgers because you know he's just that good but there was at least a willingness to show and a willingness to learn that you maybe play more zone against the Bears at least and maybe with this defense more zone sometimes helps and to the last part of the question, Undlin kind of explained it a little bit on Tuesday. He said in the first half, which was where a lot of the miscues were going, that guys were really out of position. It wasn't like a schematic beat, but more that guys just were in a bad were in bad spots. And I think some of that, as a warrior alluded to, was them maybe doing some different stuff than what they had done when Matt Patricia was still the head coach. So I think that it really kind of boils down to that. Doug McCready, who's at DG McCready, asks, will the Lions look to fill the GM spot before the season ends, or is this clearly a January task? So that's going to depend on who they want to look at and who they want to eventually hire. And if you're going to hire somebody who's currently with an NFL team, that's not going to happen until after the season. If they want to go after somebody who's unemployed, like, say, Jerry Reese, the former Giants GM, John Dorsey, the former Chiefs and Browns GM, Lewis Riddick, the current ESPN analyst, then I think that that is maybe if you don't hire necessarily before January, you can at least conduct those interviews virtually before January and gets a head start. And that is why I think you maybe make the move you made now. If there are guys that you want to talk to, you can kind of knock some of those out now. Now, of course, if there's any internal candidates they want to talk to, although... I think if there was an internal candidate they really wanted to look at, that person would have been named interim general manager instead of the four-person committee that they currently have. So to me, that says they're going to definitely, almost definitely hire from outside. And I think the question now will be, do they want to talk to a currently not-in-the-NFL general manager candidate or, for that matter, a head coaching candidate, uh, colleges or broadcasters per se, um, before they get to where maybe they can talk to some of the guys currently are that, that are with teams in the NFL right now. So I would imagine it's a January task, but say they want to target, we're just going to use this as an example, really like John Dorsey and that's the guy they know they want, then you can pull the trigger on it beforehand for sure. But I think you'd have to feel really, really, really good about what you've got there in order for that to happen. Ryan Guzman, who's at, at Ryan R. Guzman, asks, Am I crazy or does Daryl Bevel kind of resemble Rod Marinelli? I can't shake that visual. So I actually had to go and look at it. And, I mean, not from an age standpoint, obviously. Daryl Bevel is much younger than Rod Marinelli. At least I believe he is. But you can kind of see it in, like, the lower face. And, like, the nose and the cheekbones. You, I can kind of see it a little bit. Like, when I really focused on it. I mean, I wouldn't have noticed that. I don't know if I would have picked that up. But I can at least see facial structure-wise where maybe there is some sort of small similarity. But maybe you've just been watching football for too long. I don't know. Nate, who's at Doby Dog 22, asks, What can the Lions do to improve the defense this season? Well, listen, there's not much they can do as far as personnel at this point. Sure, if you can get Trey Flowers back, that would help. If you can get Danny Shelton back, that would help. But otherwise, I don't know if there's much they can do there. I think they can change some things schematically, which you saw even throughout the game on Sunday that I think will help. And I think you can see those things as the next four weeks really kind of continue to progress throughout, that maybe there are options for the Lions to blitz a little bit more potentially, to play a little bit more zone and kind of see what happens there. I was curious what the blitz and pressure rates were. They weren't that much different from week one against Mitchell Trubisky. They actually blitzed on fewer downs than they did in week one. 16.2% this week and in week one, 17.9%. They did get more pressure, though. 24.3% pressure versus 23.1%. And Trubisky did have less time in the pocket and much less time before the pass. Only 2.36 seconds in the pocket and 2.47 seconds before the pass this time around. So that's, you know, his passer rating was really good too, 108.3. So I look at that and I say, well, I mean, that's just what you're going to kind of get, I guess. And it's all a long answer for saying, no, I don't think there's all that much that they can do to change things defensively, but I mean, they should try. There's no doubt about that. John DeLeo and Rob Sewall who's at John C. DeLeo and Sewall News. And again, this is another where most of your question was pretty similar. So I want to answer this. Did you notice any differentiators in scheme and halftime adjustments by Bevel as opposed to Patricia? Or is this just a wild game the Lions would have won regardless of who was coaching? So no, the second thing I think absolutely not. I truly believe that if Matt Patricia were coaching this game, the Lions not only would not have won, I don't know if it would have been close. Uh, I've said that, I think, on the podcast on Monday, and I truly believe it. I believe that the energy and the enthusiasm and the optimism and the allowing to play for guys to play freer that Daryl Bevel brought to the Lions since he was taking over as interim head coach – It's obvious and it's palpable and you could hear it in the voices and see it on the field. It was obviously something that Bevel really hoped would take hold. So I wouldn't even say it was like halftime adjustments or scheme that they changed, but it was energy and confidence was the first and second things without a doubt. From a schemed perspective on offense, yes, they took more downfield shots. They were more aggressive going downfield, going on deep passes, kind of opening up the playbook a little bit, really kind of going more to a, I hate saying gunslinger, but more of a an open mentality, more of a take chances mentality with Stafford that I think fits Stafford well. So offensively, they were doing that in the first half and then I felt like it carried over into the second half as well. Uh, they, for the most part, went away from like the run-run pass that seemed to be a staple under Patricia. It was there still somewhat. And I mean, I think any coordinator will have that at some point. But that was one thing I noticed. Then defensively, uh, at halftime, this is what Corey Oundlin said. Quote, pretty obvious. We did make some adjustments, some ones that you probably wouldn't notice from just watching the game. Tweaked a couple of things just to take some heat off, off, guy, off some guys. And I think the biggest thing in talking to those guys when we – We were done. No matter what the call is, it just takes every guy doing his job. When we came out at halftime, there was no panic. Went in there and had a great conversation. Showed the things we didn't do well. Didn't tackle very well in the first half. Didn't really schematically get beat. Just guys out of position. So came out of the tunnel at halftime. Didn't blink. And I think that obviously showed up in the second half. Moved some things around, some pieces, made some adjustments. Again, nothing major, but I think the credit goes to the players coming out of halftime. Nobody's head was down. We know that this game is not won or lost in the first half. It's going to come down to the first quarter, like most of the, fourth quarter, like most of them do. We did, and we ended up making some plays. Those guys went out there, played hard, gave everything they got, and I commend them. Couldn't be more happy for them and more proud for them the way they came out in the second half. So that to me, it, yes, there were changes. Yes, they were pretty subtle, but they did make some changes. And again, like I had mentioned, they did play a lot more zone against the Bears in the second half of the game or in really this this game versus the game they had played with that played against them in week one. And here is another difference for you in the second half against the Bears on Sunday. They played forty five point five percent man and fifty four point five percent percent zone that is other than the game against the Jaguars where they were up handily the first time all season long other again against the Jaguars where they played under 50 percent man in the second half so that should tell you something right there and it's such a contrast from when they played the Bears in week one. In week one, in the second half, they played 89.5% man defense against the Bears in the second half. And that was when the Bears came back. This time around, they played 45.5%. So they de- that is one area where they definitely switched things up without a doubt. Jeremy Friedrichs, who's at FriedrichsJK, asks, Michael, thoughts on John Dorsey as a general manager candidate? He said, some abrupt departures in his last two spots, but his eye for quarterback talent is uncanny. All of those are bridge quarterback situations too. For sure. Uh, listen, he's a good evaluator of talent. He's got a really good, like you said, eye for quarterbacks. Almost all of those bridges were, and let's be honest, as far as Favre, he didn't draft Favre. So... That is not him. But Rodgers, he was part of Green Bay's staff then. Mahomes, who's part of Kansas City's staff, you know, making decisions with Kansas City's GM then. Baker Mayfield, he drafted him. So you see all those, and I think that if he somehow ends up as a candidate, that, to me, could be what he tries to do with Matthew Stafford because clearly he has no problem doing the bridge thing before, whether it's Alex Smith and Mahomes, whether it's Brian Hoyer and Mayfield, whether it's Farvin Rodgers. So that's something to watch out for. As far as him being a candidate, I think he'd be a good candidate. I, I would wonder, and we talked about it, I believe, a little bit on yesterday's podcast about kind of the structure of how the front office might structure. And to me, if you're hiring John Dorsey, he needs to be your top football guy. And he needs to, to me, report right to the owner and that needs to be the, the structure of it, because he's a guy that has been around the league enough, knows what he wants. And beyond that, Sheila Ford Hamp, if she is like her parents in the fact that like they don't meddle in football decisions all that much, obviously they sign off on big ticket items, but, you know, not the day to day. If she acts like that, I feel like it would be a good marriage and a good relationship if Dorsey were to come here. To me, he's a guy I would look at heavily. I would sit down and talk to because even if you don't end up hiring him, I'd be very curious to see what his plan is because his plan has worked in other places. And one would think that very similarly, his plan would work in Detroit if you were to hire him. Uh, Or at least it would give you an idea of what maybe to look for and, and how things are successfully constructed. Now, I would be a little wary of his head coach hiring, uh, particularly after what happened in Cleveland, you know. and I would want a real clear plan on that if he were to be the one to decide the coach. But I would absolutely want to talk, at the very least, talk to him and see what he has to say because I think if you're looking for someone with experience making decisions and personnel decisions, and that's the way you want to go with your GM, and it's not clear that that's definitive, But if that's where you want to go, I don't know if there's going to be a better general manager candidate out on the market than John Dorsey. But that's, again, if you want to go in that direction. Jason Sarnik, who's at Jason Sarnik, asks, have the Lions been holding Quintez Cephas back? Did the Hall move actually give him the chance to shine? It definitely gave him more reps because they were clearly kind of going back and forth with the two of them. And they gave... Cephas a bunch of work with Galladay out, and obviously with Hall no longer on the roster. And I think you saw the benefit there. Quintus Cephas has not had the best rookie year. He's had flashes here and there, but for a day three pick, that's pretty much what I think you would expect or should expect, frankly. Uh, I think the target share he got in week one was probably a bit more of an anomaly because Galladay got hurt. During the week and as far as game plans go, going especially going into week one, because you prep that game plan so much, it's maybe a harder one to walk away from, but I think you've seen potential from Quintez Cephas all year. To me, he's a guy that I want to see a ton of in this last month of the season, because if you're the Lions, you want to get a real feel for where he might be, because that might shape what you do at receiver going forward, because he's right now the only receiver you know for sure is coming back next season. And that's something that the Lions, whoever is running the show, is going to have to remedy, whether it's making sure Galladay's back on an extension or a franchise tag, and what to do with Danny Amendola, Marvin Jones, and obviously the chance of them potentially being moved on from there, being that they're free agents. Same thing with Jamal Agnew. So a lot of questions there, but I think that you'll see a lot more of Cephas. I wouldn't say they were holding him back as much as... He just doesn't offer the play-to-play consistency that some other guys do. And that was a big thing under Matt Patricia. Jamara, who's at Jamara23732, asks, Do you think the Lions will really interview Rick Smith or Lewis Riddick for general the general manager job? You know, I don't know. I mean, anything is possible. I would be more interested in potentially talking to Lewis Riddick than to Rick Smith. Um, just... I just would. Uh, I'd be curious to see kind of what he thinks about his time in Houston when it came to Rick Smith. I think he made some very good decisions when he was in Houston. But I would be interested in talking to Lewis Riddick. He obviously is a guy who's been in multiple places. He's never been a GM before, but he's seen every team in the league. He's knows a ton about the NFL. There's no question about that. I would give him a shot. I'd at least interview him. I wouldn't necessarily go out and make – make him the higher, you know, I think you talk to a lot of people, but I would at least talk to Lewis Riddick. I also said that five years ago. So that will be an interesting thing to watch as well. Because again, like John Dorsey and like Rick Smith, you can talk to these guys virtually now if you want to. And if I'm the Lions, yeah, you know what, I would talk to all of those guys. Because what do you have to lose at this point? If one guy wows you, then okay, that maybe ends up being your guy, and you can make that move. If not, you didn't waste time by not talking to other people because there's only a limited amount of people you can talk to at this moment. So I would absolutely inquire with both of them to talk to them because it will. Get, the more interviews you do, the more you may get a true idea of what you're looking for and what you want. Monte White, who's at Tay White One, asks: Will the Lions create a vice president of football operations position so that a football person? Can run Lions football, the general manager, answer to this person? And if so, who would be the candidates for such a position? You know, that's a good question, and, and I don't know the answer to that. I don't get the sense that they would do that at this point, but Sheila Hamp did not rule out some organizational changes. I think it depends on who you hire as a GM, how much experience they have. Again, like if you hire, say, a John Dorsey, I don't know if you need to have a vice president of football ops because of the experience there. If you hire a first-time general manager, you hire a younger GM, maybe you want to have that person in place. Me, I would reach out to an Amy Trask. I'd reach out to a Donna Ponte. I I would reach out to to some of those names to see if they would have interest in doing it because that would be, I think, personally also a pretty groundbreaking hire. And obviously, we saw the Marlins in baseball hire a a female GM and Kim Ng, both Amy Trask and Donna Ponte have a ton of experience and I would I would be at least interested in talking to them for that sort of position and I say that instead that spot instead of GM just because of the experience they have in the roles that they are in but other than that yeah I would I would ask around to maybe some more football savvy people to see if they do have interest again to me that's if you're going with a more inexperienced head coach and inexperienced general manager in those roles. If you're bringing in at least one of those two in the GM or the head coach that have experience, I don't know if you need that position because Rod Wood will handle business side of things. Like That's kind of what he does, and we'll kind of see how that goes going forward. But it would be a really interesting conversation, and I think if they do hire one and they hire one first, I think it could also tell you where they're thinking of going when it comes to GM and it comes to Head coach Jay Rose, who's at Debt2Up, asks, Who is running the front office? Okay, so right now it is a conglomerate. We'll just call it that. Uh, It is a combination of Mike Disner, who is their cap guy, Kyle O'Brien, who was Bob Quinn's top lieutenant and basically handled a lot of the player personnel. It was Lance Newmark and Rob and his Lance Newmark and Rob Lohman, who basically run the college and pro player scouting and personnel areas. So it's those four guys. Now, those four guys all report for now in an interim basis situation to Rod Wood. Now, Rod Wood, again, largely on the business side of things, he was in the meeting and part of the conversation when they did decide to release Marvin Hall. To me, and again, this is just me, and I believe we again we talked about this, I think on the podcast yesterday, but to me, I'm not as bothered as some by Rod Wood being in the conversation now because a you're not making any major moves at this point, and b you need you need and should want someone in that conversation with the long term thought in mind of the Lions. And who's going to be around in 2021. And there's no guarantee, depending on who they hire, that any of Daryl Bevel, Kyle O'Brien, Lance Newmark, Rob Lohman, Mike Disner will be around in 2021. So you want someone with an eye for the future. Not that I think those four guys would do anything bad. I just think you want someone to kind of understand all of that and look at the financials and the cap and Stuff like that as well to understand some future ramifications of potential moves that may or may not come into play. Now listen, Rob Lohman's been around for multiple staffs. Lance Newmark's been around for multiple staffs. These are guys that could very well end up being here again in the future. Kyle O'Brien's a good football man and a good scout and a good evaluator. So he's a guy that could also... Stick around and Mike Disner, I think, has done a pretty good job with the Lions cap overall. So, again, I could easily see some of these guys staying in their current roles, but whoever they hire as general manager is going to want to bring in some of his own people. So, you just I think to me, beyond the fact that you don't want four different voices communicating with Sheila every week, uh, so it's also a streamlined factor there, too, in my opinion. But we'll see what happens to me, I think what they're telling candidates would be interesting to know and also how they end up structuring at the end would be the real key. But as of now, that is who is running the front office. Brian, who's at Henry Morgan 73, says Stafford needs to seems to excel in a hurry up offense. Do the stats back that up. So that's an interesting question. I think anecdotally it's always felt like that, that he's worked really well in a two minute drill situation. Here's what I looked up in real time. This is from ESPN and stats and information in real time between zero and 30 seconds between snaps. So to me, that would be a hurry up scenario because you know, that's just kind of what it would be. Um, he's completed 73.9% of his passes for 383 yards, three touchdowns and no interceptions. He has been sacked five times, but that's a pretty good percentage. If you ask me, um, Obviously, the Lions are five and seventy. Has a raw QBR of ninety six point one. In that type of situation, when you bounce it out to forty five seconds in real time between snaps, the numbers the numbers grow exponentially as far as like what he has done, as far as amount and sample size. He's completed sixty six point nine percent of his passes there, and frankly, the large majority of his passes. Seem to have been in this type of scenario 15 touchdowns, three interceptions, sacked 22 times. And he's thrown 263 passes within 0 to 45 seconds of that last snap, where in 0 to 30, when that comes down to that, the numbers have obviously the sample size definitely decreases. And it goes down to 46 passes in that type of scenario. So in a true, true hurry-up situation, like a real-time hurry-up situation, he has been fantastic. Showtime is at Jake Gooden 5 asks, Sounds crazy, I know, but the Lions are one game out of the playoffs. And this is, by the way, our final question of the night. Do you think they have any shot at that seventh seed? So you're saying there's a chance. Do I think they have a chance? Sure. Do they have a good chance? No. Because here's what has to happen. To me, for them to have any shot at the seven, they at minimum have to win three of their next four games. And if it's a three of their last four situation, frankly, they need a lot of help. And to me, that only place that they can really afford to lose would be that game against Tennessee. You kind of have to win on Sunday against the Packers. You have to beat the Bucs because you're going to potentially be in a wild-card situation with the Bucs, and it's a conference game, and you have to beat the Vikings because you're possibly fighting for that last wild-card spot at that point with the Vikings. So to me, that's the only way. And then, you, like I said, you need a lot of help, and I haven't computed the exact scenarios. I did play around a little bit on ESPN's playoff tracker and playoff scenario machine, and I actually did get the Lions to the playoffs in one scenario with 8-8, eight and eight, but... It involved a lot of different things that seem very, very unlikely to happen. If the Lions win out and get to 9-7, and seven, I think, as, again, they're going to need help. But I would say that there's a chance. Again, I don't think that that is a very good chance. But I would say that they do have a chance. But again, they need a lot of help. They need to be more tied with Arizona. Or they need to be potentially tied with a couple of other teams. They would need other things to kind of break differently for them for that to happen. Now, you know, a tiebreaker against Washington, they would win. A tiebreaker against Arizona, they would win. I don't know if they would win the tiebreaker against Minnesota at this point. I don't know uh, if they were somehow tied with Tampa Bay and beat Tampa Bay, they would get in. And that's going to, again, Be something to watch and something to pay attention to. But there's a long, long way and and beating potentially four playoff teams between now and having that conversation. But, you know, if you're looking to hold on to something slim, sure. But at this point, to me, holding on to that is incredibly slim. And by 9 o'clock Sunday night, because they do play the late game on Sunday, by 9 o'clock Sunday night, that could also be a dream almost completely and totally dashed. So thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. it. was a little bit more nuanced answers to some of the questions on the pod. And I'm always grateful for the questions that you all ask. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. Follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. If you didn't listen to it yesterday, hopefully you do get a chance to catch up on the Sheldon White interview. I thought it was really insightful when it comes to general manager searches and kind of what it's like to be an interim. If you didn't check that podcast out. Feel free, if you'd be so kind, leave us a five-star review on Facebook or not Facebook, but Apple or anywhere you listen to your podcast, if you're able to, download and subscribe. We would really appreciate it. And with that, we'll chat with you tomorrow.